striving to be an um, intergenerational church, and that is a fancy word to mean that no matter how old you are, young, old, everything in between, you matter, you're a part of this family, and we want to represent that in our worship. So uh, I have a friend who enjoys my love of languages, and he's quite a bit younger than me, and so I've asked him, his name is Brian, I've asked Brian to come and read the scripture for today. So, uh, you know, it, it's good to hear scripture read in different voices, and so I want, I want you to hear Brian read this. This will be from the Common English Version, uh, chapter 16, verse 8. You got the text ready there, Brian? Okay, I'll have it on the screen, and you go ahead and just lead us in the reading. Thank you. When the Sabbath day was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Siloam, brought spices so they, that they could go anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, who's going to roll away the roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had, gone, had been rolled away. Going into the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But then he said to them, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He isn't here. Look, here's the place where he laid him. Go tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing anymore to anyone because they were afraid. And that's it. It ends right there? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, hey, thank you, Brian. I appreciate you reading that. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, it is, a, it is an odd place to end the reading at verse 8. Can you, you know, I know that some of your scriptures have a longer ending, but then there's some debate over whether this is where it ends. What if it does? Let's just accept today, what if it really does end right there? What would that mean? You know, a year ago, Easter was online. It was April 12, 2020. We were just one month into this pandemic. And even then, I, 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 we were, I looked back at the messages that we were sharing, the way that we were doing online worship, and I think we were all waiting for a day when we could gather again and we would be free from the threat of infection, free from the threat of extinction, that it wasn't going to be the end of the human race, that somehow we would all gather together. And we pictured that as a sort of a glorious day where all of us would come together, we would burn all the face masks, and we would celebrate, and there would be loud cheers and celebrations and parties uh, because it was over. It was over, all clear. It'd be like Victory in Europe Day or something like that. But that's not happened. Even today, we're beginning a time of transition where we're starting to get vaccines. We're having to maintain certain protections. We're adjusting to a new reality. What we've learned is that we're not going back to the way it was, that we're just going to transition into a different kind of world 
and a new way of living. That's where we find ourselves today. And I can tell you that whatever we've done with the adjustments uh, for policy and distancing today, I can guarantee you one thing about all of it. It will change. (laughs) It will change again for one reason or another. Jesus' resurrection, I mean, if you think about it, it shouldn't have been a complete surprise to the women or to anyone who showed up at the tomb that day, should it? I mean, didn't he give them some kind of notice that this would happen? You look back at, at Mark's gospel, and there's at least three occasions. This section from Mark 8 is the first of many occasions where he tells them what will happen. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days he would rise again. There it is. You know, in fact, when Jesus tells his disciples that this is what's going to happen, Peter has a hard time with that, and he says, "Uh, Jesus, I don't think you should be talking like that in front of the troops. I don't think they need to hear you talking about dying. And that, that's right after Peter had said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. I mean, how could anyone get something so right and so wrong in the same moment? But he did. Now, it shouldn't have been totally unexpected, but let's not judge them too harshly, okay? I mean, when else... Has there been a resurrection? You could say, well, there was Lazarus. They should have known from Lazarus. Yeah, Lazarus was a return to life, but it wasn't a return to life to a new kind of living. A resurrected eternal life. It was just a return to this life that you and I experience. So, maybe you can understand why they were overcome with fear and dread. They were overcome with fear and dread because they did not have a category to put this in. I like the way one friend of mine says it. He says, I don't know that I have a bucket to put that in. You, know, you, you, have, you have a category. You have something that when something strange comes along, it's like, I don't know what file cabinet this fits in. I don't know what bucket this fits in. I don't know what kind of container to put this in. And the resurrection doesn't fit into any of our ordinary daily categories. Paul even says that to the Corinthians. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he tells the Corinthians, look, you're trying to compare resurrection to something that you already know. And it doesn't compare. You're trying to find out what kind of body is a resurrection body. Does it fit into one of our scientific categories? If Paul were talking to us today, It might sound something like you're trying to figure out the physics of resurrection. You're you're trying to figure out the mechanics of resurrection. He says it doesn't fit into any of your categories. This is a new reality. Now just as Jesus bears the marks of the crucifixion on his body, the wound in his side, the marks on his hands and feet, this new kind of life bears the marks of the old life. But it is something unique. The reality was that that first day of the week where those women saw the empty tomb, 
that was not just the first day of the week, but it was the first day of a gradual transition into a different sort of world, into a new kind of living, and so it has ever been. You and I don't have this in our living memory. You know, just as the pandemic was all a surprise to us last year, one of the reasons it was a surprise is that none of us in our living memory have the experience of a global pandemic. We can read about what happened in 1918. There might have been a few people who were little children during that pandemic. But for the most of us, we didn't live through it. We didn't experience it firsthand. And from this point forward, people who have experienced it will never be the same. People the age of my friend Brian, people at the age of some of these children that were up here teaching you the gospel story, they will be in, the, in, a, in a future time, and I hope that they're telling children then about a pandemic as if it's a strange thing that they've never experienced. But they'll remember it. It's in their memory. So it is with us, the people who experience the reality of the resurrection, continued to pass that reality on. And then on top of that, there were ongoing appearances of the risen Jesus. So that more and more experienced it. As Paul says to the Corinthians, he appeared to 500 at one time. So it has ever been. You and I live in a world where the reality of a risen Jesus is always present with us in some way. We, prob- we may not notice it at times because we don't know what it means to be without Him. We don't know what it was like before that first day of the week. We don't know what it was like before the Holy Spirit came. That could be a very world, a very different world, and if we could somehow be transported back to that, we may be amazed at what we would experience in such a world. So let's not judge these women too harshly that they're overcome with fear and dread. If this text does end at verse 8, I think there's a good reason why. I think that this gospel is meant to have an unsatisfying ending because it's saying this gospel doesn't end. It doesn't end until he comes back. It doesn't end for them and it doesn't end for you. You've heard this message today. Did you notice in there that the message to the women is go and tell them, especially Peter. Why especially Peter? Is it because he's the one that got it so right and so wrong at the same moment? Maybe. It may also be that some of the earliest church fathers believe that Mark writes his gospel based on Peter's memoirs or Peter's stories. What if through Mark, Peter is telling us a story? Can you imagine what it would have been like if if Peter really is telling this to Mark and Mark is writing this down, this gospel, to carry this message on? to a second, to a third generation, to be recorded forever. And he's telling that story. And just like when you heard Brian read this, and he ends at verse 8, and I said, is that it? Imagine if Peter is saying this, and he says, and they went out and they didn't tell anybody because they were afraid. Then he pauses. 
Mark's got his pen. It's got fresh ink in it. And he goes, and then, yeah, Peter says, they didn't tell anybody. They were afraid. Mark says, yeah, but and then, what? What What do you want, Mark? Peter, he says, is that the way it ends? Does it just end like that? That's, That's where I'm ending it. Well, wait. He goes, how can that be? He says, Peter, you're here. Well, you, you preached on, at Pentecost. There's so many more people that believe. I'm here writing this gospel down. If they left the tomb, Peter, and they didn't tell anybody, then how is it possible that we're even doing this? And I can imagine Peter going, hmm, I guess somebody told. And maybe that's where the gospel wants you to be. Somebody must have told. What if the story isn't finished? What if somebody needs to tell? You know, there's somebody out there that you may meet today. There's some of us who are sitting in here today. And we are overcome with fear, terror, worry, distraction. And somebody needs to tell us. Somebody needs to tell us about the empty tomb. About the risen rescuer. Somebody must have told. That word overcame that the common English Bible uses in verse 8. That's that's a good word. Overcome with terror and fear. They told nobody nothing. That's the way you say it in Greek. Forgive me English teachers, but boy, I like Greek some days. They told nobody nothing. Because they were overcome with fear and terror. Jesus overcame the world, he says in John's Gospel. He overcame the injustice of the cross. He overcame the shame of the cross. He overcame the final word of sorrow and death, and God raised him. Now that is the kind of thing that demands to be told. That's really news. All this week, you're going to hear a lot of stuff that people are going to try to tell you that it's news. I really hope you'll question that because most of the time it's just the same old stuff. Warmed over and served as leftovers. It's not news at all. But this is news. This is news because it doesn't fit into any of our categories. Now, can we overcome our fears and our distractions? If, If not to share that news with anybody else, but to share that news with our worried souls... You know that moment when you wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning and you're worried about the future? Why don't you tell yourself this story? You know that moment when you're not sure what's going to happen because there's so much uncertainty and the people that you love are hurting? Why not tell yourself this story? Because it starts to open up new realities. When you find that you're in conflict with people, the resurrection says, oh, there can be new life. When you think that everything is over, that a relationship is ended, or you've lost someone dear to you, this story says there's another category where you will see them again. When we think that as a church we're losing, oh, that's it, people are uh, going to leave the faith, people aren't coming back after this pandemic. How many times have we told ourselves that? 
People are they're, they're, they're leaving the church. We've told ourselves that. We need to tell ourselves this news. Because by our categories, that may seem like the end. But the resurrection, it fits into a different category. And it says there is a new kind of life that you and I can experience only by God's grace. So are we going to be overcome by the good news? Or are we going to be overcome by the messages and the lies and the fears of the world? Are we going to be overcome by the way things have always been? Or are we going to be overcome by the possibility of new life? that the resurrection points us to. It's interesting here too that in this last section Peter and the others have gone back to Galilee. They've gone back to Galilee. Do you understand what that means? That means that they think they're outlaws and they're heading south of the border. We're getting out of town. We're going back to Galilee. We can hide out in Galilee. We can go back to work in Galilee. We know our way around Galilee. They won't follow us to Galilee. They are on the run. It's not just the women who were afraid. The men were afraid too. And not only were they afraid, they had given up. They left everything to follow Jesus. Mark told us that. They dropped their nets. James and John, they leave Dad in the boat. See ya. We're going to follow Jesus. Why? This is such incredible news. When they go back to Galilee, they're going back to everything that they had given up. That's not where I want to go, is back to Galilee. Oh, I'm tempted to go back there sometimes. It's nice to go back to what's familiar. It's nice to go back to the old routines. It's nice to go back to what you know and to feel like you're in control. But friends, we don't get to go back there. Because when you go back there, guess what? Jesus is already there. And He's there to say, what are you doing here? Because this isn't where I want you. Are you overcome with the desire to tell this to others? When we're heading out of town and we're all discouraged after we think everything is over, Jesus meets us along the way. Just like He did with the two travelers on the Emmaus Road. Reminds us that we're trying to put things into buckets that are already filled up. Who can stand to go back to Galilee when this different world, this new living, has marked our day and age with hope and rescue. Now, the only way that you and I are going to be convinced of that, the only way that our meetings and our assemblies here together, the only way that young people are going to have that kind of hope and believe that there is a rescuer is to tell them. Somebody must have told them. We're going to sing a couple of songs and then I want to invite you around the Lord's Supper table. And every time we gather around that supper table, we're not just going through a Galilee routine. That this is the way we've always done it. And I sure hope that you don't just pack up this experience and say, that was good, we'll all get back together next year and do this. We're going to keep this every first day of the week to remind us that that first day of the week around that tomb 
was the beginning of a new kind of world. And it's worth telling. Because at this meal, we meet the rescuer, the risen rescuer, who shares with us this new kind of life that he's living, which is the new kind of life that we will all be brought into by his grace. Let's sing, and then I'll come and lead us around the Lord's Supper table in just a moment.